Uh, this morning, we are going to be in Psalm 32, as Clay read for us. And let me put my Bible over here. Um, we've been going through the Psalms this summer, and we're going to make a stop here in Psalm 32. Um, for me personally, this Psalm has carried much meaning for me over the years. Um, the Psalmist David writes primarily about, in this Psalm, forgiveness and confession of sin. So we're going to be talking a lot about uh, that this morning. And for me personally, let's just say growing up in Berks County, hearing the phrase, if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, um, gets to you after a while. Uh, it gets in your head and it got in my head. Um, I know that. And it's the struggle of this day, the stubbornness of a mule, which we'll also talk about a little later. Um, but after reading Psalm 32, um, we realize that being stubborn like a mule and things like that are not a badge of honor as we might think it is, uh, but really we have to come to the Lord and realize that um, it's an issue, it's a problem, and we'll see that this morning in Psalm 32. Uh, forgiveness and especially confession are some of the main themes discussed this morning, um, and as we, as we look at this, we'll see that for sure. David will be looking at that uh, in depth as we read the psalm and look through it and study it together. Um, these are two things that historically, as I've mentioned, I've struggled with, and I know that we all can say we've struggled with, confessing sin um, to one another and also to the Lord. Um, a truth that I'm thankful for when I came to the church and was saved 12 years ago now, um, unreal, but uh, that was something that I struggled with and thankful to know that as believers, we struggle with the same thing. And so we'll see that this morning as well. Um, the psalm speaks to really the core of the human condition, um, our everyday struggle with being burdened by sin, that journey from burdened by sin to then, in light of the gospel, being blessed from guilt to grace, from unconfessed sin to the joy of forgiveness. The psalm unveils, unveils for us the transformative power of confession and the healing embrace of God's mercy. So, Psalm 32, for just a little context, is a psalm of thanksgiving um, and wisdom. It shares similarities with other psalms, such as Psalm 51, where David is confessing his sin and seeks God's mercy. However, Psalm 32 has a distinct focus on the joy and blessings that come from confession and forgiveness. Psalm 51, if you're familiar, really focuses on the repentance. David is repenting of his sin that he's committed He's in the process of that, and he's lamenting over that sin. And we'll get to that particular sin in a moment. But this psalm can be divided for us into three sections, and we'll be looking at it in more in-depth sections today. But really, in verses 1 through 2, we see a declaration of blessedness. We can't miss what David is, is, is showing us here is a blessing in the midst of seeking forgiveness and confessing sin. The joy of having sins forgiven and reflecting on the mercy of God. Secondly, his experience of unconfessed sin. We'll look at his particular experience of living with unconfessed sin and what that meant to him and how he explains that. And thirdly, the value of seeking God's guidance and celebrating God's steadfast love uh, based on the experience that he had. The psalm wonderfully showcases a structure that blends personal reflection, instruction, and worship for us. It demonstrates the connection between confession, forgiveness, and the joy that arises from living in harmony with how God wants us to live. 
we see a profound example of our day-in and day-out experiences with guilt, the transformative power of confession, and the deep joy that comes from confessing and being forgiven. And so if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 32, if you don't, I'd encourage you to do so. We'll take a look at the opening verses and see that they truly set the tone for the entire psalm. They encapsulate for us the essence of the journey that we're about to undertake, a journey toward experiencing the blessings of forgiveness and restoration. So verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. We see here David's words resonating deeply within our souls, seeing the blessing of forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. The term blessed here goes beyond mere happiness. It's not just seeking out our day in and day out happiness. It's carrying the idea of being truly joyful in the life that we're living, at peace with who we are in the Lord. And to understand the depth of David's proclamation, what he's saying here, we need to dive into the historical context a little bit to know what he's gone through. David, the psalmist behind these words, had experienced the weight of unconfessed sin firsthand. He had committed adultery with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11, and then also in 12, the story continues. Um, She was the wife of Uriah, one of his loyal soldiers. And in an attempt to cover up his wrongdoing, he orchestrated Uriah's death in battle. So David's actions there, adultery and even murder, had far-reaching consequences. His affair with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of Uriah created a web of guilt, shame, and deceit that consumed him. It was in the midst of this struggle that he had, this battle within his heart, that David composed Psalm 51, and we also believe this Psalm 32. And in this moment of vulnerability, David discovers that true blessing, true joy is found in forgiveness, confessing his sin, seeing that the blessing is in the forgiveness that the Lord gives. To have his transgressions forgiven and sins covered is to experience a release from the chains that hold us captive. It's like emerging from a dark tunnel in the radiant light of a new day. You go through the tunnel, it's dark, but when you get to the other side of that tunnel and the sun is shining, you're blasted by a ray of sunshine. It's feeling of a heavy burden lifted, replaced by a lightness of heart. He continues, blessed is the one in whose spirit is no deceit. Here, David highlights the importance of honesty and authenticity before God. Deceit in this context refers to covering up our sins, living in denial of our, of our wrongdoings. I liken it to a kind of a childish, childish illustration of needing to clean your room. Right? I was, I was prolific for, Brad, clean your room, if you ask my mom and dad, and shoving things under my bed in my closet. Floor is clear, bed's made, room is clean. But you do it over and over and over again. Eventually, you lose the space under the bed and in the closet, and you open the closet up, and stuff pours out. So in this context, deceit is like that. Continually covering up our sins, living in denial of, our room isn't dirty, it's clean, but it's not. We haven't actually dealt with the issue. It's a reminder that true blessing comes when we confront our sins openly and genuinely seek reconciliation with God. But then the question to ask is, why is honesty so crucial? God knows us. We don't need to tell him that. Well, we do. He tells us that we do. 
Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 1 John 1, 6, if we, can, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. A relationship with God must and can only be built on truth. God's word is truth. He is truth. And that relationship can only be built on truth. It's impossible to experience the fullness of God's blessings when we harbor secrets and lies in our hearts. Confession is an invitation to lay bare our souls before God, to acknowledge our need for his mercy, and to invite his transformative work within us. And so as we navigate life, we'll undoubtedly encounter moments of moral struggle. Confession isn't a guarantee to never have to deal with that sin again. It just cleanses us of that sin in that moment. But we'll continue to struggle, and we'll have moral struggles, failing short of God's standards. But let us remember that the blessing of forgiveness is always available to us. David's words serve as a beacon of hope to us, inviting us to shed the weight of deceit and to embrace the joy of being transparent before our loving Heavenly Father and with others. But in order to really understand the true blessing that comes from confessing sin, we see the need to capture the heaviness of carrying unconfessed sin. So we have David's example in Psalms, but we also have our own lives to reflect on, right? So as we read through this, let's, let's consider our own lives as well, but also we have David's example blaringly in front of us as well. In verses 3 and 4, he writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hands were heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Imagine for a moment a backpack filled with rocks on a hike, right? And as you carry it, your steps become labored, your back aches, your energy drains away, you're losing all the, all the strength that you have. Now that's a physical burden, right, on us. And so that can mirror the internal weight of unconfessed sin, like carrying a large bag of rocks on a long, strenuous hike on a hot day. And David experienced this burden firsthand. He vividly describes the toll of keeping silent about his transgressions, His bones waste away, his strength dries up, and he groans day and night. It's not just a physical description for us to take in. It's a portrayal of the emotional and spiritual toll of guilt and of shame. David's honesty, we talked about earlier, invites us to confront the reality of unconfessed sin in our lives. Like a heavy backpack, unconfessed sin weighs us down, sapping our spiritual life and leaving us with a sense of inner turmoil and uneasiness, not being at rest, not being at peace. And it's important to recognize that we were not designed to carry the weight of our sins on our own. I even think back to Adam and Eve and the creation of the world, the perfect world before sin. We were able to go to the ark encounter when we were on vacation two weeks ago, and it was eye-opening the, the world, there was an exhibit of the world before sin had entered the world. And just to think about that and reflect on a world without sin, perfectly at peace, and then taken away by sin. Unconfessed sin can be a burden for us. It is a burden for us. And it's a burden, it can become too much for our souls to endure. 
And so as we think about this, the burden of sin, unconfessed sin, because even saying the burden of sin, sin will always burden us. But when we confess it, it's supposed to, to take a weight off our shoulders, right? It's the unconfessed sin here we're looking at, the sin that we keep deep inside and don't tell anyone about. That's what we're getting at. And especially in David's instance of what he had committed, the, the murder, the adultery, trying to hide that, cover it up. What can we learn from this? Well, the lesson here is that unconfessed sin takes a toll on our well-being. It can be spiritual, emotional, even physical, right? It can weigh us down. It affects our relationship with God, first and foremost. Our relationships with others reflect on our relationships that we have now. Are you harboring a sin in that relationship? Someone else harboring a sin in that relationship that's keeping you from having full relationship with that person or even with the Lord? It's important for us to reflect on that. We want to have peace with God and confessing sin brings that. But the good news is that God has provided a way for us to be free from this burden. And it's the path of confession and forgiveness that Psalm 32 leads us through. Which brings us this morning to our third point as we look ahead in Psalm 32, the healing joy of confession in verse 5. David writes, I will acknowledge, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David's words here offer a powerful testimony to the transformative impact of confession. He speaks of a moment when he chose to confront his own wrongdoing. He speaks of the moment where he no longer chose to cover up his sin and live like everything was okay and all right, that he can control what was going to be seen and what wasn't but rather to confess it openly to the Lord. And what was the result? The profound and life-changing experience of God's forgiveness. Imagine the relief that David must have felt when he finally acknowledged his sin. I'm sure we can relate. Times in our lives, I hope we, I hope we can. I know it's sometimes for me it's hard to think back of those, there's those really true moments where we had to really confess something deep. So we may know what it feels like to confess a deep sin that no one knew about. And when you acknowledge that, you no longer carry that burden of secrecy. You no longer carry that burden of sin. Just like when you take a back, forget the rocks, even just carrying a backpack on a hike, right? When you take it off at the top, it is a relief, right? It is a deep breath you can take. Oh, we've made it. We're here. And the weight is no longer on your shoulders. Confession brings the same sense of liberation to the soul. It's like the breaking of dawn after a long, dark night. To see the sunrise in the morning after a long night it brings peace, brings liberation. Confession is not about shaming ourselves either. A lot of times when we think about confessing sin, we think about our reputations. We think about what people will think. It is certainly my hope that the people in this room or in this building or even watching, when they hear sin confessed by somebody, they wouldn't think in shameful ways. They wouldn't think, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he's on the spotlight or she's on the spotlight, that she's getting what she deserves. No, 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 no. Confessing is not about shaming ourselves or anyone else. Confessing is about embracing God's grace and mercy. The same mercy that then we are, are commanded to show when people do confess sin. When we confess, we acknowledge our need for God's forgiveness, and that opens the door for his healing work in our lives. When we embrace who God is and what he's done and what he can do, we then allow him to heal in our lives, to work in our lives. Until 
we embrace who God is and what he can do through confession of sin and forgiveness of sin, we won't feel that working in our hearts. We need to allow him in through confession. Through confession, we align ourselves with the truth of who we are before God. We're flawed, but we're loved. We're broken, but we are redeemed through God. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is an incredible truth for us to live by and to rejoice in, that through confession, he's faithful and just and will forgive. So guys, this morning and often, it's one of my prayers um, that we all know the healing joy of confession. It's one of the hardest things as human beings I think we, we need to do is confess sin openly to God and also to our peers. But I pray that we see the freedom that comes in it. It's not about having all the right words. You don't need to say a certain set of words or a certain set of things. It's about having a sincere heart that desires reconciliation with God. We see David here in Psalm 32 with a sincere heart, having confessed sin, seeing the blessedness of it. Confession, confession brings us into the light of God's presence where his love and grace abound. There's no shortage of it. When we, when we open up and we confess, we are flooded with love and grace. And just as David found forgiveness so can we find freedom and renewal through the act of confessing our transgressions to God. And so, the progression here is great, by the way. I mean, David moves to the psalm. It's, it's just, it's amazing the, the progression that he, that he has here. Moving on then, once we confess our sins to God, right, we must then embrace God's guidance. So we've confessed our sin. We realize that we are sinners in need of saving and in that moment, we say, okay, I have this sin. I've confessed it. Now what? Well, now we see in verses 8 and 9, we need to embrace God's guidance. He writes, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed and with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Excuse me. Imagine walking in a dense forest. Without a map or a guide, you're likely to get lost or stumble upon obstacles. When I go for a hike, I need a map. I need to know, I need trails, blaze trails. Anna doesn't. She just will walk wherever and get lost. I'm not, that's not how I roll. I appreciate the, the, the desire for adventure, but yeah, she, she hates that about me sometimes. But anyway, if you're in a forest and you're, and you're walking without a guide, without a map, you're likely to get lost. But if you had someone who knows the terrain well, if you had a guide leading you step by step, pointing out the right path, well, that's a huge help, right? Because it's going to get you there and back or through. Whatever you need to do, you're going to get there without any concerns. That's the image David paints for us here. God is the perfect guide who instructs, teaches, and counsels us, watching over us like a patient father. David's words remind us that embracing God's guidance is a conscious decision we must, we must make day by day. Every day, we are faced with a new battle. Every day we are faced with a sin that is tempting us, something that is wanting us to just say, yeah, I'll do that one time. So every day we need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you, right? He contrasts us with horses or mules that need to be restrained and guided forcefully. God doesn't want us to be controlled like that, right? Like unruly animals. He wants us to willingly follow his lead. And why is that? Sometimes people who have power would prefer just to control everyone like a herd of animals, right? Just pull you along and 
And uh, not the case here with the Lord, because his guidance is always for our benefit. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. The Lord makes our path straight. He guides us. He keeps us. He knows what's best for us. In our fast-paced world, seeking God's guidance seems a little counterintuitive sometimes. It's too slow for some people, right? What's your own truth? Follow your own truth. Do what's best for you, relying on our own understanding, rushing ahead without stopping to consider God's direction for our lives. But the message here is clear. By embracing God's guidance, we avoid unnecessary pitfalls and find ourselves on the right paths. Now, avoiding unnecessary pitfalls, does that mean we will never run into an issue? No. But when we do, we're guided by the truth that God gives us, and we can more easily make our way through those issues as opposed to trying to do it on our own. Just as the psalm encourages us not to be like stubborn animals, um, God's guidance also requires humility. It requires us to say, I need you, Lord. I am not capable. I can't do it. I need, to, I need to humble myself, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you, James 4.10. See, it's about recognizing that his ways are right and good. Our ways are not right and good. And so how do we practically embrace God's guidance? Four quick things just to think about as we think about uh, embracing God's guidance. The first thing is seek him in prayer. Spending time in prayer, we're able to talk to God one-on-one. He hears us, he knows us, what we're saying, seeking God's wisdom and guidance for your decisions, whether they're big or small. Seek God in prayer. Seek God in his word. Dive into God's word to discover his principles, his guidance, his ways, his commands, his will for our lives. Listening to the Lord, right? Listen for the Lord. Each one of us who have faith in Christ have the spirit dwelling in our heart. We have the ability to just Maybe, in our, like I said, in our fast-paced world, slow down, stop, and just how is the Lord convicting us today? What, what does he want from us? Slow down, take time to listen to the promptings of the Spirit. And seek God through counsel. Seek advice from wise, godly mentors who can provide valuable insights. God uses his word, he uses prayer, but he also uses the people. I mean, for our context, primarily you see in this, in this building in order to speak to us, to help us, to guide us, to keep us on the right path. It's one of, the, one of the reasons why transparency is so important, right? So the people that care about us and live side by side with us day by day in this walk of faith can keep us, help keep us on the right path. If they don't know what's happening in our lives, they won't know what's best for us as far as keeping us on the path. So God's guidance is available to us. It requires our willingness to follow not like stubborn mules, right? The stubbornness is not a good thing, not a badge of honor. Just as a guide in a forest leads us through unfamiliar paths, God's guidance leads us through life's twists and turns. And when we embrace his guiding hand, we find a sense of purpose and direction that I think a lot of us can relate with that helps us navigate the challenge and opportunities that come our way. So rely on the Lord, seek him, seek his guidance. This brings us to a fourth point and a very crucial point, um, celebrating God's unfailing love. In verses 10 and 11, David writes, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, 
but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So David here paints a stark contrast between the wicked and between the righteous. He speaks of the sorrows that accompany those who reject God's ways and remain unrepentant. Okay, and it's important for us to, to note that, to see that. These sorrows are the result of distancing oneself from God's love and protection. I don't want to hark on that too much because this psalm is about the blessedness of forgiveness. It's not about the repentance and the sorrows of repentance necessarily today. Um, psalm 51 maybe deals more in that. But it's important for us to see here, he is painting a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. Those who are unrepentant, distancing themselves from the Lord, but those then who trust in the Lord as well. And then something remarkable happens when we do trust in the Lord. Steadfast love surrounds them. Okay? Steadfast love surrounds them. Being, imagine being surrounded by a protective shield, right? Like a fortress that guards your heart from the attacks of life's troubles. If we had some impenetrable force around us that, that just kept everything bad away, right? And this is, we kind of do in a sense, right? This is what we're wanted to understand, that when we place our trust in the Lord, we are enveloped in his steadfast love. Again, this is not an absolute guarantee that nothing bad will happen to us, right? But that when it does, God is there and he will guide us through it. So when we place our trust in the Lord, we're enveloped in his steadfast love. It's a love that doesn't waver, a love that remains constant even in the face of challenges. The words here echo the reality that embracing forgiveness and confession leads to a life of freedom and authenticity. In Christ, we can be free from sin and authentic to who we are. The world seems to think opposite, right? That you're only authentic if you are truly who you are. Again, we're defining who we are with who we, who we are. We need to find purpose in something else besides ourselves, and that's in Jesus Christ and our Heavenly Father. So, embracing forgiveness and confession leads to a life of freedom and authenticity. By acknowledging our need for God's mercy, we open ourselves to his transforming grace. We step out of the shadows of guilt and shame into the brilliant light of his love. And in that light, we find cause for celebration, a reason to celebrate, right? And it seems odd in this context maybe of confession. We're confessing sin. We've wronged the Lord. We've turned our back on him. Now we're confessing that sin to him it's something that, again, like I mentioned, we want to feel ashamed of, right? But David says here in Psalm 32, be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Why? Because the act of confession isn't a defeat, right? When we say we've sinned, forgive me, Father, or I've sinned, forgive me, so-and-so, it's not defeat, right? That's how it felt growing up, right? Growing up, I don't think it's unique to this area. It's just everywhere, when you, when you say you did something wrong, you feel defeated, you feel shamed, and you feel embarrassed. Your pride takes a hit, right? Not the case when it comes to our Lord, because when we confess sin, it's a victory over sin's power. The power of sin is to keep us strangled, right? That's, it wants to keep us strangled and down. But when we confess sin, we have victory over sin. Confession is a declaration that God's love is greater than our mistakes, it's an invitation to celebrate the redemption and restoration 
that comes from aligning our lives with God's ways. Not easy, right? If you read the word and you read it, you study it, to live like God wants us to live is not an easy thing. But with his help and with trust in him, we can do it. Again, I'll reference a lot. This is where the church is important. We have each other to guide us through this. We're not alone in this. He's with us, and we are all hopefully with each other. So we're able to be authentic and free. Celebrate confession. It's an invitation to celebrate the redemption and restoration that comes from God's ways. So we think back to times in our own life we've experienced forgiveness. So think of times when we've experienced forgiveness, and perhaps you felt that burden lifted, right? That weight removed or a sense of renewal. That's the reason for celebration. When we embrace God's unfailing love through confession, we experience a joy that goes beyond our circumstances. It's a joy rooted in the assurance that we are known, loved, and forgiven by our Heavenly Father. And so how do we practically celebrate God's unfailing love? How do we practically look at this? Uh, Three things for us, just to think about, to take, maybe write it down so you can look back on it. The first one is gratitude. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever, Psalm 107.1. Develop a habit of gratitude for God's forgiveness and grace. Be thankful to the Lord for what he has done. Two, what we're doing right now, we're worshiping. We worship through singing. We worship through giving. We worship through the word. We worship through prayer. Engage in heartfelt worship that acknowledges God's love, God's redemption, and who he is and what he has done for us. Right? When we come here, it's about him. It's not about us. It's not about uh, what we've done this week. It's not about what we're good at and what we're not good at. It's about him and about him alone. Thirdly, share your testimony. One of the greatest ways that we have to share God and who he is is to share what he's done in our lives. If you're ever in a situation where you feel like, I don't, I don't know the word well enough, I don't know about God well enough, just think about what has God done in your life and say that to the person you're talking to. And that can transform lives like, like you don't even know. Um, we think of baptisms, right? It's a perfect example of the celebration that comes in confession. When we have baptisms here, it is a celebration. There are smiles, people are, are clapping, people are happy. Hopefully we are anyway. But at the same time, sin is being confessed, right? People are crying, people are weeping. Not just in sadness, but also in joy. This person has seen that their sin no longer is what defines them. And it's God who defines them. It's God who's leading them and God who's guiding them. There's joy in that. And there's reason to celebrate there. The celebration of God's unfailing love is an ongoing journey. So once we're baptized here, wherever you're baptized, it doesn't end there, right? That's just the beginning. You go from there, go forth, and you realize over and over again God's unfailing love. A journey of rejoicing in the righteousness that comes through Christ's sacrifice. It's a journey of shouting for joy, not because we're perfect, but because we are deeply loved and abundantly blessed by our Heavenly Father. That's good news. So now I want to backtrack a minute and turn our attention to David's example that he set himself in verses 6 and 7. He writes, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. 
You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God's words invite us into his personal experience. Oh, sorry, David's words, also God's words, to be, to be fair. God is speaking through David here. Um, so God or David, but David, we know, penned this. It invites us into his, his personal experience of confession and seeking God's presence. He acknowledges the importance of timing, offering prayer when God may be found, highlighting for us the urgency of addressing our unconfessed sin. It's an urgent matter, and we have unconfessed sin to express it and to confess it. Imagine standing by the shore at the beach, down by the shore, as we say here, and the waves rush in, right? Powerful waves rushing in. It seems to be maybe the, the, the illustration or the picture that we get when he says the rush of great waters, symbolizing the overwhelming consequences of unconfessed sin. They just continue to come. They don't stop. They keep rolling in. And yet David assures us that when we turn to God, when we seek his forgiveness and guidance, those waters cannot reach us. Why? Because he is our hiding place. God's presence is a place for us to hide. David's example of seeking God's shelter resonates with us today. Just as he found refuge in God amidst life's troubles, we too can find solace in God's embrace. Through confession, we enter into that hiding place where God's mercy and grace are poured out abundantly. It's a place where we are preserved from trouble and surrounded by shouts of redemption. And so David's example here, again, just three quick things for us to practically take away in kind of reviewing this little section is we urgently need to confess sin, right? Recognizing the importance of addressing confessed sin promptly, immediately even sometimes. No need to wait, right? Confess. Access God boldly. Approach God with boldness, knowing that he is a refuge in times of trouble. I think if you're running down a street, someone's chasing you, trying to hurt you, and you see a nice house, big house, lights on, people inside, doors open, you're probably not going to run by that house, right? You're probably going to run into the house and seek help, right? God just has a bigger house for us to see. He's, he is the, the light shining that we need to run to when we are in trouble, and that is when sin is rushing behind us, trying to catch us and envelop us. We can access God, and we can hide in him, seek refuge in him. And then thirdly, redemption. Experiencing the shouts of redemption as you embrace God's forgiveness. So again, that idea of we're urgently seeking him, but we're also still celebrating, experiencing the shouts of redemption as we embrace his forgiveness. And so David's story is not just a historical account for us to take, right? It's an invitation for us to emulate his practice of seeking God's presence through confession. Just as he found shelter from life's storms in God's presence, so can we find comfort, guidance, and redemption through our honest and open communion with God. So important that we don't take God's presence for granted, but we openly communicate with him. And so as we approach the conclusion of our exploration of Psalm 32, we arrive at the final step on our journey. In, Psalm, in verse 11, we're going to go back to verse 11, embracing the path of restoration. David writes, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And these words are a resounding call to action for us this morning. 
A call to embrace the journey from being burdened by sin to being blessed by the Lord. From unconfessed sin to forgiveness. From wandering aimlessly without a guide to being guided by our Lord. And from sorrow to celebration. David urges the righteous to be glad. So if we are in the Lord, if we are being faithful to the Lord, if we have put our faith in the gospel, be glad in that. Rejoice in that. Shout for joy if you feel like shouting for joy. But notice that this joy is not a fleeting emotion either. It's rooted in something, and it's rooted in a heart that is upright before God. A heart that is upright before God. The path of restoration begins with a heart that acknowledges its need for God's mercy. It's a heart that finds its worth, not in perfection, but in being made right with God through Christ's sacrifice. It's a heart that is open to God's guidance, willing to learn, quick to confess, and seek forgiveness. And so this morning, as we have read and as we study Psalm 32 together, and as it has been as we studied all of the Psalms together this summer, we find ourselves at the heart of God's redemptive story. A story that points us to the ultimate source of forgiveness and restoration, Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Redeemer. In the midst of our struggles, guys, with guilt, with sin, and the weight of unconfessed transgressions, Jesus stands as the embodiment of God's unfathomable mercy and grace. Jesus is the one who stands and takes on that sin. And that's his mercy and grace on us. The words of Psalm 32 find their ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus. It's through him that we encounter the profound reality of forgiveness that surpasses all understanding. In Jesus, we witness God's promise fulfilled to remove our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, Psalm 103, to declare us righteous through faith, Romans 4, and to provide redemption and the forgiveness of sins through his blood, Ephesians 1.7. We see his work here in the Psalm 32, his sacrifice on the cross is the ultimate expression of God's love and the means by which our sins are covered and forgiven. And praise be to him for that. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No thing, no thought, he died for us. And through that death and resurrection from the grave, Jesus offers us the opportunity to stand before God with hearts free from deceit, transparent before the one who knows us intimately. And thinking of confession, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, we're encouraged to approach God's throne with confidence. Don't shy away from the throne of grace, but come to him with confidence. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. And yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the journey from burden to blessed, from unconfessed, unconfessed sin to the joy of forgiveness is made possible 
through the transformative power of Jesus' sacrifice. We can read Psalm 32. We can see David's account as historical fact for us. It is. We can see what he did. We need to know that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made it possible for us to confess sin to our Father directly. We don't need to go. You don't need to come to a pastor or to a leader or to a friend, although I encourage you to do so. But the Lord is the one who we go to. He hears our confession. When we confess to him, he forgives. His forgiveness is not a distant concept. It's a personal invitation to come as we are, to confess our sins, and to experience the freedom that comes from knowing we are truly forgiven. When we confess our sin, guys, we are truly forgiven because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross and his defeat over the grave. And so as we conclude our time together this morning, let's carry with us the truth that God's forgiveness is boundless. It has no fences. It has no borders. It has no walls. It is boundless. His love is unending, and his grace is sufficient for every need. So may the words of Psalm 32 remind us that our Heavenly Father is the source of of our blessedness, the joy of our hearts, and the wellspring of our hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, this morning, in your word, we are confronted by, by sin. But Lord, we are confronted by the fact that it is a blessing to confess that sin. Lord, we rejoice in the truth that we are not met with the fact that we are held down by our sin forever, that sin will keep us down forever. We rejoice in the fact that death does not have the victory, Lord, but that you have the victory, that your son was victorious over the grave. And because of that, through confession of sin and faith in the gospel, Lord, we have freedom uh, in you and in your son, Lord. We pray this morning uh, that as we reflect on your word, uh, that it would, it would work in our hearts, that we would um, desire to confess sin openly and often. I pray, Lord, that we would see the refuge that you are for us, um, that you are a hiding place for us, as David says in Psalm 32. Um, may we seek you out, Lord, day in and day out as we struggle with sin, the burden of it. May that burden be free from us as we confess sin. I pray that we would confess sin to others if it's needed. Uh, even this morning, as maybe it's weighing on some hearts, I pray that that sin may be confessed and be heard by you as we know it will be, and they would feel the, the true forgiveness and the freedom that comes in true forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for our time this morning as we worship, and may, Lord, as we continue to sing and worship, may we um, just give it all to you, um, and we praise you for all that you do for us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.